Would you please turn with me to Romans chapter 15? Romans chapter 15 is where we'll be spending our time in the close of the letter that Paul wrote to the church at Rome. Before we jump to our text, I want to ask you to use your imagination with me. I want you to imagine King David in his palace. I want you to imagine the room that he's in, probably the most beautiful room he had ever been in before, sitting on his throne, looking at the the cedar that's all around him, the gold decorations, the silver, anything that he could have wanted. And not only was it that room, but it was his entire house. Nicest place he probably had ever been to. And then the man after God's own heart, as the Bible calls him, had this thought. He looked around at where he was living, and he said to himself, I live in such a wonderful, beautiful house. And yet, the ark of God, the ark of God resides in a tent. And David had this fantastic idea. We need to build a beautiful house for the ark of God, a wonderful temple. And David had the resources to do it. And David had the heart to do it. One of our greatest songwriters that we've ever found is King David. And so he had this desire in his heart, and he even sought counsel from godly counsel. David goes and he speaks to the, Nath- to the prophet Nathan, and he tells Nathan about this idea. And Nathan hears it and goes, fabulous. Whatever God's put in your heart, go for it. And then Nathan goes to bed that night. And God speaks to Nathan. And basically God says this, stop. It's not going to happen. David is not going to build a house for me. And then the prophet Nathan had the duty of going and telling King David, no, stop. You can't do it. And so what do you do when you have a desire to do something that you believe is good and righteous, and yet an obvious closed door? What do we do with that? Even when it feels like something that's very spiritual, how do we deal with that? The Apostle Paul, in in the closing of his letter, is going to tell the believers in Rome about some things that were on his bucket list. There are some things that he wants to do. God is calling him to these things, or is he? I want to ask you before we read in Romans chapter 15 to actually take a look at a map with me. Now, if you're here in person, you can see a map Um, Up on the screen, there's also one of those on your bulletin for you to take with you. We do have some people listening over WMPC that probably got an email of this bulletin or some of them hard copy in the mail. So take a look at that map that you have right there. Now, for some of you, I want to ask you to turn to the very back of your Bible. If you have a nice Bible that has maps in it, I want you to go ahead and turn to those maps back there. And if you have maps, you likely have more than one. Find the one, it might be the final one, that says Paul's third missionary journey. And then take a look at it. It's going to look a little bit different than the one that's on the bulletin cover because you're not going to find Spain in any of the Bible maps that I have anyway in my Bible. 
You're not going to find Spain there. And yet we're going to find that Paul has Spain on his bucket list. When you look at that, you will see where Paul is writing from, and that is right there in Corinth, uh, just above, I believe it's uh, that island right there, Cyprus Island, I think. There's Corinth. That's where he's writing this letter from. And as he writes, he's writing to the believers to, in Rome, and that's right there in Italy, shaped like a boot, of course. And he tells them, I'm going to stop and see you on my way to Spain. That's the desire that he had. And yet, he's not going to make a direct route. Paul had some things on his bucket list. I wonder if any of you have made a bucket list. If you've put some things out there that you would just like to get done sometime in your life, maybe in the next few years, it's always good to have plans. It's always good to reach high. And so maybe you've got some things that are on your list, some things that God would want you to do. But how do we deal with it when we're not sure if it's something God wants or just what we want? When there's a clear, closed door, what do we do? Well, as the Apostle Paul writes to the believers here in Rome, I think that he shares his heart with them, some things that are down the road, one thing that is immediate, but all things he wants to do with the blessing of his God. And so what do we find here? Well, the first thing that I see is that you and I need to expect that God is going to work both through open doors and through closed doors. You should expect open doors and closed doors from God. Now, it's been Paul's desire to go to Rome for a long time. In fact, right now we're going to finish up the second to the last chapter in Romans, but in the very first chapter, he told them this. I want to come to you so I can be a blessing to you, but also so you can encourage me. He wanted to go to Rome originally, I believe, to preach the gospel. But now we're going to see up to 30 people that were believers in the church in Rome. So he doesn't need to go now and present the gospel of Jesus Christ. Instead, it's going to be so he can be a blessing to the believers and so they can be an encouragement to him. In Romans 15, would you look with me starting in verse 22? This is the reason why I have been so often hindered from coming to you. Can I, can I pause there? He says, this is the reason. If you're not sure what that reason is, you need to back up and look at the previous verses. If you were here last time in our study, we saw that he had preached in all the area that he was in, in Corinth and all around. Paul's pattern was to go to the metropolis area and preach there in the city, and then hopefully there would be a, a ripple effect of the gospel that would spread. And he felt some closure for himself to this area. I've hit everywhere here. So that's why he says that. This is the reason why I've, I've so often been hindered from coming to you. Look at 23. But now, since I, am no long, since I no longer have any room for work in these regions... And since I have longed for many years to come to you, I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain and to be helped on my journey there by you once I have enjoyed your company for a while. So we see here what Paul wanted to do. The current work had come to a completion, but there was a yearning in his heart. 
a yearning that he talks about here, and he told them at the beginning of the letter of something he wanted to do. I want to be with you people. I want to come to Rome, and that would not leave him. I, I have on the screen for us here Romans 1, 10 through 12, which is what he said in the beginning of the letter. It says, Always in my prayers asking that somehow, by God's will, I may now at last succeed in coming to you. For I long to see you that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. That is, that we may be mutually encouraged. But what do you do when you have a strong desire for something, but there's a closed door? Well, the short answer is, is you continue to trust God, that He is in control, and that God works through both open doors, and God does exactly what He wants to happen, oftentimes, through closed doors. Perhaps you've had the experience of a closed door, and it was confusing, or maybe even hurtful. But when you go down the road, you could turn back and see what God was doing. Because he knows all the answers. He knows how it's going to end. And he knows what you are going through today. We need to learn from the Old Testament characters. If you read through the Old Testament, it's sometimes shocking how bold they are. I get taken back with some of them because... God will be calling them to go somewhere or to do something. And sometimes they'll start by saying, I will not go, Lord. And then they'll finish by saying, unless you go with me. Moses did this in Exodus 33, where he had these millions of people that he was to lead. And he said, if your presence does not go with me, go with us, do not lead us. And so, open door, closed door, both are okay. We do not get nervous as children of God. We just make sure that whether it's open or closed, we are doing what we can to walk in the will of God. That's why you can have confidence even when you're not getting something that your heart desires. Now, you keep your priorities straight. You keep your priorities straight while you're waiting, Is there anything that is more pressing than what God has laid on Paul's heart to go to Spain and to go to Rome? There is. There's something that is more important than that. So he told us about the eventual plans, the the bucket list, wish list, and now we see something that's more important. The next thing that we find here is that you and I need to give special attention to those that are in the family of God. The Bible commands us to show love, And be respectful with all of our fellow man. But especially those that are in the family of God. Now John Stott did some wonderful work for us in writing out the the details of all the miles that were traveled. And if you can look back at that map that you have on the bulletin or in your Bible, you'll see if, if he were to go from Corinth where he wrote it and go to Rome and then to Spain, it's about 1,500 miles. And that's what he wants to do. But there's something more pressing. So pressing that he's going to go the opposite direction. He's going to go all the way back to Jerusalem. 
And this is going to make the trip go from 1,500 miles to about 3,000 miles. Most of it by ship. And not a nice luxury cruiser, right? He's going to eventually land in a couple shipwrecks. But the Lord's in control every step of the way. I need to tell you a little bit about why Paul's heart, why this was an immediate need. He wanted to go to Spain and preach the gospel where it had never been preached before. But there was an immediate need with his brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ who were in need. We understand that there was a great famine in Israel, in Jerusalem, in A.D. 46. It hit the country hard. They did not have food. They were all hurting. And the believers were especially hurt because some of them had lost their jobs when they decided to follow Jesus Christ. Many of them were being persecuted, followers of Christ. And so it, hurt, it hit them especially hard. And so what he's wanting to do is take an offering to these believers in Jerusalem. There is the eventual plans, but this is the immediate. Look at verse 25. At present, however, I am going to Jerusalem, bringing aid to the saints, For Macedonia and Achaia have been pleased to make some contribution for the poor among the saints at Jerusalem. For they were pleased to do it, and indeed they owe it to them. For if the Gentiles have come to share in their spiritual blessings, they ought also to be of service to them in material blessings. When therefore I have completed this and have delivered to them what has been collected, I will leave for Spain by way of you. And I know that when I come to you, I will come in the fullness of the blessing of Christ. As you study through the Apostle Paul's writings and even the book of Acts, you will find a reference to an offering. And every time, it's this offering. There's never multiple offerings or giving opportunities he's talking about. It's always this one to help the needy in Jerusalem. When he wrote to the church at Corinth in the very last chapter, or in chapter 16, he, he told them this about that offering. Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I directed the churches of Galatia, so you also are to do. On the first day of every week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up as he may prosper, so that there will be no collecting when I come. And when I arrive, I will send those whom you accredited by letter to carry your gift to Jerusalem. Did you catch that? Not only is he going to be collecting an offering for the needy, the Gentiles giving to the Jews, but they are going to take representatives from each of those Gentile churches to go to the Jews and lay that offering at their feet. Does this seem like a a fitting ending to the book of Romans? This clash between Gentiles and Jews? And now some of those Gentiles are going to take an offering and they're going to take it on that long, treacherous trip and they're going to give it to those needy people in Jerusalem. His request is pretty pretty, uh, specific as he prays in just a moment. But this is a wonderful testimony to what Jesus Christ can do to unify people. There is no better resource, there is no better person, no better program at unifying people than Jesus Christ when he saves souls. 
One commentator speaks about this, and he said, those in places where there were churches and there were Jews and Gentiles said there are three kinds of people that can be observed. There are Gentiles, and there are Jews, and then there are Christians. And that's how it ought to be. And that's how it ought to be with you and me. Not divided in some way. Not that people don't feel welcome to come to our church if they disagree with us on things that are easy to disagree on. The devil knows he can trip us up and get us to divide. And he loves to make those things more important than the gospel. And there is no better unifier than the Lord Jesus Christ. I know we have some, uh, some theologians out there. Some of you have been studying the scriptures for years. Some of you love jumping into the Greek. I'm aware of that. So I'll just give you a little bit that, I, that stood out to me as a surprise. That word contribution that you see in verse number 26, contribution, we kind of know what that means. But when you, when you get that word from the Greek, it actually comes from the word koinonia. Now, the first time I ever heard the word koinonia, it was the name of an adult Sunday school class in a church, the koinonia class, because koinonia means fellowship. Why is it that when Paul is talking about a contribution, he uses the word fellowship? Because we need to have the brothers and sisters in Christ very, very important in our lives. Is there anything more important than this financial gift? I spoke to a missionary a few years ago, and we're, we, we are blessed with a wonderful missions program here at Calvary. And as I was talking to the missionary, trying to improve things, and trying to get some honest feedback, I'm aware of the challenge that, that many missionaries face who have raised support with multiple churches. Because sometimes they'll come home on furlough, and they spend their entire, fur- their entire furlough, which is actually supposed to be a rest, and they spend that entire time running here, running here, running there, going over there, giving reports to all these churches, and sometimes, unfortunately, trying to raise more money so they can go back. And so I had this idea. I just asked the question to one of our missionaries. I said, would it be better for you if instead of having 25 churches that you have to go and give reports to, if you just had five churches, just five churches that support you and that way it'd be a lot easier and you could get some rest. And they thought about it for just a moment and they had a couple reasons why they would not want that. But the reason that stood out to me was this. They said, oh, I could never give up all the hundreds or thousands of people that we have praying for our ministry. Might be tempting. Might be a little bit easier on the furlough side. But they were saying, the money's important, but the prayers are just... And that's exactly what Paul tells us next. The next thing that we see is that you and I need to pray for the work of God. He begs them for their prayers. Because he understands that prayer is what is going to be the power to ministry. And he says, please pray. Pray for me when I go to Jerusalem. Pray for me when I go to Spain. Pray for the ministry. When I went to Bible college several years ago, 
I uh, went to stay in one of the men's dorms, and they named the four men's dorms after spiritual giants from the past. Now, I'd only heard of one of these guys. I had heard of Spurgeon, all right? Um, So Spurgeon was one of the dorms. And then there was Armitage dorm, and then there was Judson dorm, and then there was the dorm that I lived in, which was called Cary dorm. I lived in Cary 205. We've got some Maranatha folks around here. I lived in Cary 205. Cary Dorm was named after William Cary, the gentleman that this book has been written about. William Cary has been called the father of modern missions. He made an impact on the mission field at risk of his life and an impact that made such a difference that it changed missions as we know it. And so I got to reside in a dorm named after William Cary. And I want to tell you one of the most famous lines that he said when someone was talking to him about the dangers of where he was going. 1700s was the time frame. And they said, India, are you crazy? India, they're going to kill you if you go there. Are you really going to go to that God-forsaken place? And it was at that point that Carrie said, yes, I am going to go to India. He said these words, I will go into the pit But you, you must hold the ropes. Paul is saying here, I'm going to go and I'm going to take your offering, but you must, you must pray. Look at verse 30. I appeal to you, brothers, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit to strive together with me in your prayers to God on my behalf that I may be delivered from the unbelievers in Judea and that my service for Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints so that by God's will I may come to you with joy and be refreshed in your company. May the God of peace be with you all. Amen. It's not hard to find the two specific prayer requests that I will have safety when I go around those unbelievers in Judea And that when I go to the the believers, that I will be accepted. Paul had a bucket list. I think we can develop a short bucket list from some things that we find here in Romans 15. The first thing that I think we can walk away with is, is that we need to trust God both when the doors are open and when the doors are closed. Because God has not changed. He did not change one bit. I know it's hard to understand when God is pulling us or when he's not, when that's just a desire of our own. But we're going to see in just a moment with the Apostle Paul that some of those things very clearly God wanted him to do and some of the things on his list were not necessarily God's plan for him. But when you are waiting, you are making sure that you're using the right resources, that the Holy Spirit is clearly guiding you And that the word of God is daily a lamp to your feet and seasonally a light to your path. Use the right resources. And you need to be walking close with God. I received a phone call years ago from someone who was scheduled to get married just in a few weeks. Just in a few weeks. And man, did he have cold feet. He said, I'm not sure about this. I I, I just don't know about this. I'm not sure if she's the one. I'm really nervous about this. 
And just so you're all aware, I really can't answer that question for anybody. I really can't. But I did ask him an important question. I said, what is your walk like with the Lord right now? And he said, oh, I'm not close with the Lord right now. And even though I could not answer the question for him, I would counsel anyone, if you're going to make one of the biggest decisions of your life and you're not close with the Lord, you're taking a huge gamble. God works through closed doors and open doors, but he wants us to use the right resources. Also, express love in a special way to fellow believers. Sacrificial, in some kind of a sweet and special way, show someone around that's a follower of Christ that they are special to you. And when it's easy, that doesn't send any kind of a message to the world. It's when it's hard to love someone else. That's when the world outside sees it and says, perhaps there's something to this Jesus Christ church. And then finally, pray for the gospel to work. And pray for the gospel to work, yes, on the mission field far away, but it will not be a burden for you far away until first it is a burden at home. Pray that God will use you to further the gospel. This past Wednesday, somebody knocked on my door, and it was one of our volunteers from the church here, and he said, you got a minute to talk? And I said, absolutely. And so he came in and sat down, And within just a minute or two of our conversation, he asked a question that kind of, I thought was kind of odd. He said, did you pray that God would use you to be able to share Jesus with your family? And I thought, well, yeah, absolutely, I pray that way. Well, he was asking that question because he wanted to share what God had done in his life. You see, as a young man, he was not a follower of Jesus Christ, but he went in the military And he got saved while he was serving in the military. And at that point, God put a burden on his heart that he would be able to be used to see his family come to Jesus Christ. He got out of the military, he came home, and that's exactly what God did. Within a short time of following Jesus Christ and telling his family about this, his younger sister was gloriously saved And all God's people said, amen. And then not too long after that, his older brother heard about this message of Christ. And his older brother was gloriously saved. And all God's people said, amen. And then his grandmother, his grandmother accepted Jesus Christ as her Savior. And all God's people said, amen. His mom and dad were were believers already, but they were not in church, but God brought them back to church. We will not have a genuine heart for people to be saved on the other side of the world if we do not have a heart for them to be saved where we live. For you grandparents and you parents, you are to be an evangelist first to your family. God has given you that stewardship And they need to know the truths of the Bible and the truths of the gospel. And so I would ask you the question today from our text. Do you have a Spain? Do you have somewhere down the road that you want to go to?
that you want to share the gospel with. A beating heart in this world that you want to see transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. What happened with Paul's bucket list? If you were here for our study in Acts not too long ago, you have an advantage because we walked through the ministry of Paul. But let me go ahead and and summarize what happened with him. He's in Corinth. He wants to go to Jerusalem and then from there go to Rome and then preach the gospel in Spain for the first time and watch the gospel just like fire spread across the world. The Apostle Paul leaves Corinth, takes the offering, takes the people with him from the churches, and he goes back to Jerusalem and he meets uh, Pastor James, the pastor of the church in Jerusalem, the half-brother of Jesus Christ, who's pastor at church, and he gives that offering to him. And while he's there, he's very, very pleased to go and worship in the synagogue. So the Apostle Paul goes to the synagogue and somebody sees him. And somebody knows that Paul's going to cause trouble for their cause, for their religion. And so they falsely accuse Paul and they get a riot together. And basically these people storm him and are about to tear him apart. We find this in the book of Acts. The Roman soldiers have to step in and they save him. He gets a chance to preach right there on the steps of the synagogue, and he's placed under arrest. Now, there's some people that don't want him to live. They hate this message of Jesus. Some people took a vow. We're not going to eat for 40 days until we kill Paul. And I don't know what happened to them, but I know they didn't kill Paul. He goes on that midnight ride, and he travels all the way to Caesarea. Some of us here have been to Caesarea and seen seen the the seaside home of Herod, just barely above water, and the the little Colosseum that's been built right there, where Paul likely would stand in that place and give a defense of Jesus Christ. And he was in jail for two years. And he wasn't getting anywhere, was getting released from jail. So finally, Paul, as a Roman citizen, said, I appeal to Caesar. Did Paul get to Rome. He sure did. But do you read anything in Paul's plans here where he was planning on going in handcuffs? Does anybody read that there? I don't. And yet that's where he landed. What do we do when God puts a door closed in our path? Let me back up to the story that we began with and that was about David. Do you remember David? in this incredible house. And he has, a, he has a desire within, not from God, but a desire within to build a wonderful temple. And God says no. I need to tell you about this story because you need to understand that it was just yesterday that I was trying to find this in my Bible. And I kind of knew that you know, first Samuel's got King, you know, it's got Samuel, then King Saul, and David's running for his life. And it's in second Samuel that David is king. And so I turn to 2 Samuel in my, in my device, and I am really helped, maybe you are too, by those little descriptions at the top of the chapters. You know what I'm talking about? At the top of a chapter, they'll say what's coming up. They're not inspired, but they just describe the upcoming section. And so I went to 2 Samuel, and I started to scroll through and just read the headings at the top. And I was looking for, David wants to build a temple. Or Nathan tells David, no way, Jose. Something like that. And I scrolled through every chapter. And I I couldn't find it. 
And I'm embarrassed to say that I had to talk to the Google. I went on the Google and I said, where is this story at? And it said, well, 2 Samuel chapter 7. And I said, well, I know I looked at that one. And so I go to 2 Samuel 7 and look at the story. And then I look at the heading of what God was doing in David's life. And in that heading, it does not say David wants to build a temple. The heading over that section of 2 Samuel 7 says, The Lord's Covenant with David. And here's why I tell you that. Because David had in his heart to do something wonderful for God. To build God's ark, a house. And what God did was God said, you want to build a house for me. Oh, David, let me tell you about the house that I'm going to build for you. And then we see the covenant between the Lord and David that from David's house, from David's lineage, would come the Son of God, the Messiah. Does anybody here think David was disappointed at first when he heard he couldn't build the temple? I think he was. I think he pouted. I think he probably griped. I think Nathan was probably quick to leave the room after he had to share the bad news. Does anybody here think that David, up in heaven, is looking down at God's plan and saying, I wish God would have let me do that instead? God knows every one of you by name. He knows you on this very day. And it might be that you, in your mind, have a heading that you have written over this day or over this season of your life. And can I suggest for you that God might change that heading? And if God is the one that makes the change, I can promise you that when we get in eternity and look down, we will say, oh, what a mighty God we serve His ways were so much better than my ways. And so when we find an open door and when we find a closed door, I want to suggest to us today that they are all open doors. Let's pray. Gracious Father, (laughs) you know each of us right now. You know our thoughts. You know our joys. You know when you saved us. You know our sorrows. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you know us better than we know ourselves. And we thank you that you are a good God who has a plan to glorify yourself and use us in the meantime, a good plan for your children. We praise you for allowing us to see closed doors and open doors that you're in control of. We praise you for putting on our hearts that someone we know or love or someone on the other side of the world would come to know Jesus Christ because of something we were able to participate in. And we praise you, Heavenly Father, most of all, that we can just be part of this group that is bringing glory to you. While we have our heads bowed and eyes closed, I want to give you a chance to pray. As the piano plays through, I'll give you a couple suggestions. My experience is, as the Holy Spirit does some work during these times that I wasn't even intending that to be something that was a topic. It might be something I mentioned or something that he's laid on your heart. Would you take just a moment to pray? Turn that over to God. If you're here today 
and you're not sure if you were to die, if you would go to heaven. The Bible says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. We celebrate Easter because Jesus died, but then he rose from the dead. He conquered death, but he also conquered sin for you. And right now, in the quietness of this moment, you can pray and say, God, will you forgive me of my sins and make me your child? And the Bible says, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved.